Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Glad you are are tuning in. You are uh, joined by Tony and Russ, the Lark Cast mm. duo. Somewhat, you know what my wife pointed out? She goes, if What's you that? if you change the T and the S, the Lark Cast are the Lark Cats. Mm. So instead of the Lark duo, we could be the Lark Cats, the Lark Cats on the Lark Cast. I like this. I like this. <laughs> Man, you know those cats, those lark cats. Check out those lark cats on the lark cats. It's <laughs> awesome. I, was, I told Pam, I'm kind of like, laughing at it, but I'm at the same time, up. I'm like, this is this is good. I like this. Way to go, Pam. You are you are now rocking with the lark cats on the lark cast. <laughs> you can't say it without laughing. <laughs> That's what oh, makes you know, it, oh, you know makes those, it good. You know those cats? You know those like cats? Yeah, man, I know those cats. <laughs> I'm definitely cool going to get made fun of for this because I always <laughs> refer to people as cats <laughs> like my whole life. Yep. Yep, mm. that's good, man. Um, before we get into it uh, today, uh, just a couple of announcements. One is... um. We, you know, we wrote Reclaim. Um, if you don't know, you and I wrote a book together. It's called Reclaim. It's available on Amazon paperback. Uh, you can also get it in Kindle as well. So two formats. Um, and that is kind of like our, I don't know what we call it. That's kind of like our, man, our foundational work, like a bunch of what we have to say and continue to yeah. say is right there in reclaim. If you go to the website, we've paired each chapter um, with additional bonus footage. It's an interactive thing. And we know people who have gone through it individually. We know people who have gone through it as groups. We know people who have like straight up, like started communities out of the things right in reclaim across the country. Um, yeah. So it could be a personal thing. It could be even like, if you have a heart to start a business or a community or start a work in your city, um, you could do that. But what we've noticed is there's kind of like this ongoing conversation of reclaim that we've been uh, releasing and having through the reclaiming series. So we came out with reclaiming church last month and we just dropped reclaiming communion. Um, if you go to our Instagram page um, link in bio to Linktree, it's there free download reclaiming communion. It's short, it's sweet, it's dope. Check it out. Yeah. Cheers to that dude. And the other thing is um, we've been doing these Lark Lives and this upcoming one in March, we are going to have um, our friend Jonathan Chambers, um, who is a recent widower and has really gone through a really difficult season and has, we've met him in the middle of that and formed a yeah. friendship with him. And we're really just blown away and encouraged just by his faith and the story, um, what God is doing in his life. And so he's going to be sharing his story and his journey with us on the next Lark Live. Do you have the date on that? I think it's like March 15th, right? I believe it is. It's Tuesday evening, um, 9 p.m. Eastern. You can log in from wherever you're at through Zoom. Go to the website, homepage, larksite.com. You'll see a sign up right there. Just scroll down just a, just a little. And uh, yeah, I think you'll definitely be encouraged by this. And I think we'll also together be able to offer some encouragement to him. That's kind of yeah. what's been going down on these monthly calls. And yeah, you're definitely going to get a glimpse of what does faith and freedom and following Jesus look like, man, for a, for a dad of three girls at home, right? Who yeah. recently lost his wife. So mm -hmm. it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm very much Tom, looking forward us. to hearing from him. Jameson's the one that's been really friending him and been able to spend some time with him. And I think Jake wants to do some Leonard Skinner um, karaoke in the after party. 
So I think we might might be able to pull that off too. <laughs> I was going to laugh, but then I'm like, well, it's actually not funny. He's probably being serious. <laughs> it's probably going to happen. <laughs> I will say Lark Live is great, but the Lark Live after party is uh, has become my favorite thing. Yeah. People who stick around, man, for the conversation, it definitely gets uh, <laughs> definitely gets fun. Totally. So those are the two things. Reclaiming pieces. We're giving those away for free. And um, Lark Live, March 15th, Jonathan Chambers. Looking forward to that. Okay. So we've been doing a series. Um, r- roughly the banner is Finding Freedom. Finding Freedom from Yourself, episode one. Finding Freedom in Technology was the last one. And today we are tackling something pretty pretty well connected to technology, finding freedom in busyness. And we know this, right? Because this is kind of like how everyone is answering the question, hey man, how are you doing? Answer, man, I'm just, I'm just really busy. Just crazy <laughs> busy, what's, insanely what's busy. Like the universal answer. <laughs> yeah, I do it, you do it. I've heard others do it. <laughs> Um, yep. and so here we are, let's kick around this idea of, of busyness. How do we find freedom? Maybe, well, some people are saying finding freedom from busyness. We're kind of more saying, how do we find freedom in busyness? Right, Cause right. we're not here to, we're not here to demonize busyness No, at all. No, we're not. And, uh. I know that can sound a little contrary from two guys who the first book we wrote together is called slow down. Yes. Right. That was published. And uh, yeah, we need to get into that. And um, there's a reason we rebranded. Yeah. Because just slowness and slowing down from what we were unpacking from the scriptures is not what is often thought and taught about slowing down. Right. What it is and what it's not in relation Mm -hmm. to busyness. So I'd say, man, first off, we just got to probably just pick up this idea that being busy, busyness is is a form of religion today. I think that's why people not only say when you ask them, how are you doing, respond with busy, right, as you already brought up, but we almost say it with a little bit of pride. Yep. You know, we 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 actually like responding that way. You know, idleness, idleness makes us far more weary. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and busyness um and i think that's just because to be busy is something that's valued it's something that's desired being busy is almost a form of like there's a sense of justification mm-hmm. right that comes with it it signals importance when you're busy right. um busy isn't just you know how we are it's like literally who we are mm-hmm. and it feels like the context is irrelevant for sure the context is irrelevant because I mean, you can be in the middle of a rural community and have a conversation with the farmers and, hey, how are you? I travel and visit family. That's where a lot of my family lives. And their response is, you know, busy, man, crazy busy. Yeah. If I had a dollar for every time I heard busier than a one-legged midget, you know, an ass-kicking contest, I'd be a millionaire by now. <laughs> what file do we, do we put that? Is that Southern, Southern Idioms? Yeah, that's probably that's probably a good one. I, I like your that idioms. one. I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan of them. We don't have they're that, not they're not you know, politically correct oftentimes, um, but they are sincere. But I'm just but the point still stands, right? Like it really doesn't, it's not something that, yeah, man, people who live in major cities are, you know, are really busy, or people who run businesses are really busy. It's like, no, you know, people who live in rural communities, stay-at-home moms. Um, or especially busy, right? Like you yeah. just keep going down the list. It's, it's like, no, nah, man, busyness is a, it's a badge of honor right now. Yeah. It's something that people are defining themselves with trying to find their enoughness in. Therefore it takes on the form of religion itself. Yeah, no, totally. And if it, you know, religion, you might be thinking, you know, as capital R religion, you might think it has to do with robes and buildings and liturgies and these kinds of things. Um, but really this series, we're talking about like these lowercase R religions, anything that allows us at the end of the day to just put our head on our pillow and be like, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. What is the justifying story of your life and busyness 
um, it does. It adds that layer of enoughness. I don't want to demonize busyness at all, um, especially from the perspective of uh, God himself. There's a lot of things he's invited us into, like being husbands, yeah. like being wives, like starting families, work itself. Work is not bad. You know, you're like so many have just such a poor view of work due to career and a skill right. and something to give your life to something that benefits your neighbors, right? To be able to work in a business or start a business or have a skill that benefits your neighbors that you can, you can receive goods and services back or money back for something that you're really, really good at and therefore support your family. Dude, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to give yourself to a career, a skill. And dude, sometimes to get good at something, bro, bro, you need to put a lot of time and effort mm -hmm. and energy and research into that thing. And these are good things. Work is a good thing. And sometimes busyness can be a really, really good thing. But like most things, most good things, they can quickly become God things. And it seems to just be like the story of humanity and we can... I mean, as you know, you can go to the scriptures and look at the Old Testament, right? And you have this continual story where God's revealing himself to us. He's revealing to us who we really are, right? You've got these various laws and practices that are put in place that are all helping us grab on to the, the, the frailed and foolish nature, right, of who we are and the myths that we've bought. You've got all of these, these systems and practices that are pointing us to a coming Messiah. But how many times did they did the people then grab onto those things and turn them into a means of achieving their own sense of enoughness, their righteousness, things that they would take and use to define who they are and to define who's in and who's out. And then, of course, we look back to that through the lens of Jesus and his death and his resurrection and all the New Testament letters, right, like pointing to a church, the church, right, that's learning about trusting him. And we'll oftentimes do the same thing. We start grabbing on to these various things that Jesus teaches, right? And we turn them into means of achieving, you know, the ideal self, the ideal society. So I agree with you, man. Like the thin line is thin <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. And it's not just from the culture at large that it's thin. It's especially thin even in and amongst the faith community. Mm -hmm. If this is really making sense to you, um, this talk of busyness, um, think maybe for a moment why we might be so busy. Um, it might be for ourselves. It might be to bring about the security that comes from like having a foothold in your company as being like the person that's always going to be reliable. No one's going to come take your job. It could be the pursuit of money and like the control and the security that comes, you know, from that. But a lot of times, man, like busyness is really rooted in you know, maybe just saying yes to a lot of things because we want to please people or the overworking that comes from just wanting to hear those satisfying words from a client or a boss of well done. And if that's you, um, just know that the thing that your heart is really, really wanting in your overworking and in your busyness, man, we already have <laughs> freely from God. Oh, and by the way, He's the only person in this world whose opinion truly matters. And at the end of the day, will matter. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And I also think, you know, just to, to reiterate what you're saying, being overoccupied can be a problem for sure. It can lead to a lot of stress, right? Breakdown, health, go down the list. Um, but sometimes in life, being busy is just part of it. And it's not all bad. I think where the, the struggles come in is when you start to feel inferior to those who are busy hmm. or when you start to right, really question your worth when you're not busy. I think that's kind of where things start to, to flow, man. Like busyness is attractive um, because it performs double duty, right? You feel like you're advancing in life when you're busy, you're achieving things. Therefore, you're living to the fullest. You're not missing out, right? Things like this. Um, it's also attractive because it distracts us from things that are less pleasant in our lives. And I think that's just true of all of us. That's kind of, again, that's kind of where the slippery slope 
of the religion of busyness comes in. Performance becomes the identity. And then, right, fear, paranoia, you know, always coming around, man, with everything in your life. You got the pressure to keep up, to maintain. And it gets, it gets pretty daunting, man. Yeah. And doing some reading on this, one of the things I love that Saul brought up, who we've quoted on here before, he said, when you look at the high school suicide rate in affluent communities, it's sometimes four to five times higher than in the rest of the country. Hmm. Palo Alto, California, Northern Virginia, suburbs of DC, Western Chicago, right? Very affluent suburbs, Fairfield County, Connecticut. The suicide rate among high school students there are four to five times higher than the rest of the country hmm. because the identity of performanceism through busyness, man, really starts to, to just strangle the life out of people, literally. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I've seen that. I've seen that in my, my family. You know, my, my 16 year old is, he's pretty busy. He's got a lot going on. He's got a job. Um, he's training for, you know, football season next year. Um, and he gets really, really good grades and he's in some pretty good, you know, classes, um, you know, kind of like the, the whole like college prep, you know, kind of classes. I, dude, I, dude, one time I made the honor roll as a freshman, a B honor roll. And my parents freaked out. They gave me, they just threw money at me and like lifted my curfew. And it was just like, it was just like, what the heck is going on with you? Because my whole entire career, I was just a troublemaker, um, you know, didn't get much higher than a C. And so we've never really like pushed for, you know, a, 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 like the pressure of that, but man, you can, you can really, you can really see it, you know, in them. And so, um, obviously being a family that's like, Hey man, like, you know, our, our worth and our identity is not tied to these things and just be able to like, just kind of pass that good news on and just kind of know some of those, those pitfalls. But yeah, dude, I can, I can see that. And that's, um, that's pretty sad. And that's pretty, pretty discouraging because we think life itself is found in those things because there's really not much to be had outside of what, you know, is offered in this world. As we get into this whole topic, the thing for me that becomes most important is our response to busyness. I think being busy is something that everybody feels for good mm -hmm. and bad reasons. And I don't think it's, it takes it, 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 rocket science isn't needed to be able to press into why you're busy and what is it that you believe, right? That led to this, right? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not good. For me, the bigger issue, man, that I'm hearing is our solution to busyness, especially in and among the Christian camp. Yeah. The Jesus camp. Because what I'm camp. seeing is, I'm, I'm hearing this like busyness, the religion of busyness, the danger of busyness. Therefore we must. And then here comes our Christian solutions to busyness. And I'm looking at it going, we're just swapping one religion for another. Yeah. It's like, you listen to, to some of these cats and it's like, I get that we are trying to save ourselves in our busyness, but you kind of get the sense that like, you're trying to like save yourself and make God happy in your unbusiness and it's like the pendulum swings yeah. you know yeah. the other way so the god squad has a lot to say about the solution to busyness and a lot of people are grabbing you know onto onto this almost like they're framing it in such a way that if you are busy and you do have a packed out schedule let's say you have a family let's say you have you know a job, let's say you and your wife both have jobs, careers, you start to feel guilty. Some of these guys, the way they paint this conversation around busyness, it's almost like you can't even know or be known by God if you're busy. Like, just almost just like no hope for you at all. I know busyness is a badge of honor, man, that you definitely find in and around the culture, but you definitely find it in and through the church. And now we're seeing we're on one camp, there's a badge of honor for being busy for God. And now there's a badge of honor for being unbusy for God. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, I'm going, why is there even such thing as a badge of honor? And why are we pursuing this in the name of Jesus? <laughs> I'm just, like, it's, it's not, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not clicking for me, but I know it's easy to, 
for God to become a, a taskmaster in this in the sky, right? Um, you know, or he's that that you know that per that nonstop sort of lawyer, right? That persecutor from within. I know, like the false idea perception of who God is and what he's like and what he's doing, man, it's been, it's been peddled through the religion that carries Jesus's name for centuries, man. And it's Mm -hmm. sad, but it's true. Mm -hmm. And, and just confession, I've been on the receiving end of that. I've also been on the pushing that out. Yeah. You know, I did, I, I spent 15 years in pastoral ministry and yes, it was, successful in the eyes of that world but man when i look back on it i'm like i was just a really good dope dealer man at the end of the day i was just offering people every high they needed to in the name of jesus but it was just one facet of religion after another it wasn't learning to trust in the news of what god has done it was all about finding the tools and tips to achieve what you needed to do for him Mm -hmm. and it's just not true man and so, you know, you, you've got this somehow through this, man, like the, you know, the religion for winners, man, right, that are busy or the religion for winners who are not busy in Jesus's name became a, a thing. And the fellowship of losers who have given up on our ability to do all that was needed and have been learning to trust and depend on Jesus, right, got lost. Yeah. And it's, dude, people are writing about it. They're teaching about it. They're talking about it. And they're coming at it from different, two different camps. But I'm looking at these camps and going, yeah, this, if Jesus aligned with either one of those camps, the religious crowd would not have crucified him. AKA, I don't think you're saying what Jesus said. Well, let's, I mean, let's just get into it. We knew we were going to be talking about busyness. Um, we've been talking, we talk a lot about, um what people are grabbing onto we meet a lot of people um they you know they've read slowdown they've read reclaim they make associations you know with us and other people and you hear you hear enough about people talking about certain authors and certain books you hear enough associations we follow enough people um our ear is to the ground on what christian leaders are saying and, um, you know, we knew we were going to be talking about business. And I would say the probably the number one most popular book that deals with this issue right now, or the number one most popular or sought after leader on this issue is John Mark Comer and his book, The Ruthless Elimination of, of Hurry. And um, I have been, I will tell you that I've not ordered the book. I've not read it in its entirety in prepping for this. Um, I've been uh, I listened to a message he gave on this topic and um, been reading some quotes and some stuff like that. People have been passing some things on, on to us. What I do know about Comer is that he's very influenced by Dallas Willard and John Ortberg, who was, a, who was mentored by Willard himself. And Willard is someone who I have interacted with. And in fact, the title of his book came from a Willard quote. Um, in which Willard said this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, which is where Comer got the title for his book. And he's very open about where that quote came from, his love for Willard, um, his love for Ortberg, and the influence um, there. And of course, Comer is, you know, his voice is not necessarily new. If you've been in and around the church for a long time, you'll know talks of spiritual formation, um, talks of, you know, the contemplative life of the Christian, especially like really being influenced by like the monastic kind of like monks who really dove into like silence and solitude. A lot of that stuff's been around for quite a while. Richard Foster, the celebration of disciplines, um, you know, those kinds of things. So you've probably interacted with this um, idea where maybe you've had a pastor or a leader, or you've read a book, or you've, you've read something that's really putting emphasis on the daily practices that lead to inner transformation. Um, this idea that we need to connect with the life of God. We need to enter into the life of God to, to receive all that really is meant for us there by relating, you know, to him. 
some of it's good. I like pushing back on busyness because I think we are busy. I think we are trying to be saved by busyness. But man, sometimes it can kind of sound like we're being saved, like you said, by our unbusiness as you dive into some of this stuff. So I want to kind of like honor and respect like where they're at. But man, we definitely do have some some pushbacks as we've interacted with some of this stuff. I think the thing for me, whether I'm, I'm looking at what various Christian thought leaders and leaders, uh, you know, in, in various churches are believing, preaching, teaching, what I find is like they're oftentimes very sincere. Okay. And I know that when we sometimes get into conversations about what someone is teaching or saying in relation to what we see in the scriptures, and then, you know, there's conversations and debates, you know, that come around that people can hear that as like, oh, you're picking on so-and-so or you're anti them, or it's like, no, man, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. I do believe that. And I do believe they're coming from a sincere place. Yeah. But I think we can also be sincerely wrong in a lot of things. Willard Orberg, these are guys that definitely grabbed on to what's oftentimes referred to as a re, as a, an improvement theology. Okay, we, we write about that in Reclaim Chapter 4. It's the belief that the soul is what needs to be nurtured, and it's through the various things that we do in this life that we become the better version of who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, contrast that with what we feel like I think Jesus is revealing to us in the scriptures and what he brings about through his death and resurrection is a replacement theology mm-hmm. that through his death is our death. And through his resurrection is our resurrection. Jesus literally referred to us as being made one with God. He said, we are, we are literally one with him in the same mm-hmm. way that he is one with the father because of what he single-handedly did. Mm-hmm. So the journey in front of us is a journey of, learning to trust him. Okay. In the Comer Willard camp, right? The more like improvement theology, they talk a lot about apprenticeship. Discipleship is apprenticeship. We are apprentices of Jesus. Yeah. Disciple has imitation. Yep. And everything is about learning to adopt the ways and the words and the works of Jesus to become something different. Right. Instead, I'm looking at the scriptures and going, no, it seems that Jesus models what was always supposed to be, what Adam and Eve turned away from. It's called a life of dependence. What we were taught is what it looks like to depend mm-hmm. on God. Mm-hmm. The father announces his love and approval of his son in whom he is well pleased. It's an announcement that's also made over us who live in him. He made that over Jesus before Jesus ever did anything. Here's where it breaks down to me what Jesus does and models, if you want to say, or lives out right in the scriptures, um, part of what he's doing is on behalf of people who have never been able to freaking figure it out. He's doing it. He's being it right. Dependence, holiness, relationship with God, trust in the father, saying and doing only that which comes from the father and in so doing he's able to be this representative on behalf of all humanity to bring us into the grave and into our deaths to raise us up to newness of life and get and bring us back into the dance that we were all created for and so there's a very very thin line in the whole imitation and modeling after the words and works of Jesus, you're entering into a realm that really only one person could really ever do. Yeah. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter one literally says, and because of him, Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus. Going back to this being made one with him, union with him. We've been replaced, right? Literally our lives hidden in him. It says, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I love that. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got this, you have this society the whole that is obsessed with religion, right? Doing everything they can to find some way in which they can have control in the story. And right here, you have a passage where it's like, no, in Jesus, you, okay, you've been made one in him, him who became to us the wisdom from God. He's the wisdom from God. It says he is our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. He's all Mm -hmm. of it. So that 
it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Yeah. And the, I don't need the to boast dangerous... about my practices or not being busy or being busy. You know, yeah. I'm just saying you can play with that a million ways, but we just forget that we are, you know, it goes on and says in second Corinthians, Romans three, five, eight, we are Colossians three. We are the righteousness of God Yeah, because of what someone else did on our behalf. In that talk from Comer, he talked about um, in the process of writing the ruthless elimination of hurry, he talked about being influenced by the Eastern Orthodox tradition of atonement, mm -hmm. spiritual practices, and all that. And he mentioned union with God as something that we've lost and something that we need to pursue, something we need to get back to, you know, yeah. kind of like in, in the way he said it, it was like, no, there's something that we need to do to enter back into this union. And for me, like, I'm, man, I'm all about like praying, hearing from the Lord, right? Like just paying yeah. attention to what the spirit is doing in my life, listening to that in community, maybe what other people are seeing, you know, in my life, we're not here trashing prayer, contemplation, quietness, you know what I'm saying? Slowing down. We're mm -hmm. not here trashing that. I think where it gets really dangerous for us is when you start to ascribe, right? Or you start to put weight, the weight of responsibility on us to be united to God himself. Right. And so my concern with people like Willard and offshoots like Comer is that union with God or entering into the life of God or pursuing the kingdom. There's a variety of different ways that they, they say it. It's something that needs to be pursued. It's something that needs to be worked at. Right. And they're adamant about at least, at least Willard was, he was adamant about talking about that earning life or earning a relationship with God. That's not what we're, that's not what he's talking about. But then he was saying, no, what we're talking about is entering into this life. And right. my, my, my problem is I, I, sometimes I can't discern between the difference of earning life with God and entering into it by my own will and my own practices. That's a right. really freaking blurry line, dude. Well, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, for me, it's very much true what you're saying that it is blurry and it can get confusing but if we pull back and look at it for in my in my opinion it becomes much more clear we aren't earning we know that he knows this you know but we're also we're not entering into this by anything that we do if you've been made one with god through what jesus did you didn't earn that nor did any of your effort have anything to do in regards to entering into that you were brought into something that someone else did. Those, those, those don't coincide. I know Willard, you know, is, you know, always famously quoted as someone saying, which he did say, God is, God is opposed to earning, not effort. To which case I'm like, dude, the entire book of Galatians is written to a group of people who thought effort was needed. And that by their effort, they became something greater, something better, something more righteous, something more holy. Paul referred to them and literally said, who bewitched you? So you who've been made one, one, you who've been made holy, you who've been made righteous, who've been made the righteousness of God, you who have already been sanctified as Hebrew states, past tense, or in the first Corinthians one thirty verse that I just read, right? You who have already been redeemed by him are somehow going to bring about something else that's needed. The very idea of that not only is contrary to what Jesus has done and brought us into, bro, it, you're literally saying that there's something lacking in you. When you say that, you're also saying there's something lacking in Jesus. You can't be living as one who is whole and holy and home and free in him mm -hmm. and still be in need of something else. Right. Which is the whole breakdown of the imitation model, or I would say, I would say this, the imitation emphasis, I would say the imitation emphasis. And if we've seen anything from the new Testament, it's that Paul is constantly writing back to churches who have already grabbed onto the good news to constantly remind them of the good news.
and in an effort to help the church, um, I think experience the joy of the fruit of the spirit or the joy of life with God and kind of experiencing that on a practical level, like the experience of trust, the experience of a life of faith is I think what they're getting at. And we're for that, man. We are, man, we are for that. Um, we are for slowing down with people, with community to, you know, press into these things, but man, sometimes the gospel can be very quickly just glossed over and assumed. And when you begin to emphasize, um, you know, emphasize imitation, man, it can quickly turn into earning, dude. And Jesus stands off in the distance kind of as a prototype, right? Like something that we need to copy and emulate. And life with God and union with God is something that we are really starting to work at. And all of a sudden, dude, you have just left Christianity. If I was sitting with Willard now, I would say a, a way that you could probably say what you're saying right now to help people better understand it is he's saying God is, God is opposed to earning. He's not opposed to effort. But what he's really saying is that God is opposed to earning, but he's not opposed to performing. And I'm thinking to myself, actually, he is. He is. He doesn't need us to perform for him. Mm -hmm. There's that we, yeah. We're not going to become any more one with Jesus than we already are. We're not going to become any more righteous or any more holy than we already are as people who now live and dwell in him. Mm -hmm. And so in response to busyness, sometimes the solution is being unbusy slowness, right? Becomes the solution to the better you, to the better me, or the more holy you, the more holy me, depending on which camp you're in. And so all of a sudden solitude and Sabbath become these practices for bringing about a better me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, no dude, solitude and Sabbath were tools to teach dependence. They were mm -hmm. tools to teach trust. Mm -hmm. They're not tips for managing performance. Yeah. They're two yep. different things. Okay. Yep. And so, yes, I'm for imitating, but what Jesus is showing us to imitate is a life of dependence, hmm. a life of dependence. The whole breakdown in the garden is the belief that with better knowledge, I could control a better me and a better world. Yeah. And so he shows us what it looks like to live in complete and utter dependence upon God all the way up to his death. That's what we've been invited to come imitate. Mm -hmm. So, and so, you know, when we say this, people go, well, what about like the fruit of the spirit? Well, dude, by definition, it's just look at the phrase fruit of the spirit, right? It's a working of someone else in and through me and you. Mm -hmm. It's something we walk in, right. it's something we bear. It's not something we produce, right? And I think in particular in, Gal in particularly in Galatians, I think what Paul is showing them is he's saying, hey, these things, this life with God that you think you're, you're, you're kind of like tapping into by going back to the ways of Moses, um, man, no, like these things come just by virtue of someone uniting himself to you. They don't come. Right. If you pair Galatians three, it's like, dude, did you receive the works of the, did you receive the spirit by works of the flesh? No, you didn't. And then in chapter five, he goes back and says, but the works of the spirit are this, the fruit of the spirit, or here's the result of this life with the spirit who, by the way, you got yourself involved with him by faith, by faith, by trusting outside of yourself, the work of of someone else. So you definitely see that in Galatians. And so I think it, to me, a lot of, when I hear some of these guys talk, they really emphasize the soul caring for your soul. They talk a lot about like what's broken about this world and like the spirit of the world without really the emphasis of like, well, man, culture is just a reflection collectively of our hearts together. If you have something in culture that's broken, if you have something corporately 
that's broken. If you have something, whatever you have right in the world, that is a result collectively of the human heart. But there's this way of, of talking about it, like the world is kind of bad and we need to like kind of transcend that or kind of like skip out on that. Dude, it quickly starts to really feel like Plato and Platonism. You know, this whole idea of like a game plan to unlock the soul, right? The cage soul. Remember I got into that and finding freedom from yourself, that whole idea of like the ascension of the soul, like the world is bad. We need to just kind of like get out of here. We need like through knowledge, we need to, we need to kind of break free, so to speak. Dude, it starts to sound like a game plan for the cage soul to really break free and transcend this broken world so that we can get on yeah. to becoming the best version of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And again, going back to Jesus, freedom is a gift. It's not a goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But oftentimes within yeah. Christendom, it's freedom is being painted as a goal. Yeah. Well said. And here are the systems and the structures and you know, the different, you know, passages from scripture that you're going to need to grab onto, to go walk in these things, to become, mm-hmm. blah, blah, you know, and then fill in the blank. And again, it's, I'm looking at Jesus and he's going, yeah, just so you guys know, I don't do anything, nothing on my own. Mm-hmm. I just go walk in whatever the father's doing. He has this life of dependence in which by faith, he walks in what's in front of him because mm-hmm. he already knows he's fully loved. He's fully whole. He's fully one right? He's fully home. He's fully free. And therefore this is the life that's in front of him. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he's busy in that life, right? And sometimes he's not, Mm -hmm. but whether he was busy or he was slow, he never at any time or at any point in that trajectory, did he ever become less one whole home and free? Mm -hmm. Well, the scriptures say through the mystery of the cross, we live and dwell in him. That's our story. That the apprenticeship, discipleship, the life in front of us, that's it. It's mm-hmm. a life of dependence and what he has done and declared and then learning to walk in these things, right? But it's a, when it happens, it's a fruit of the spirit that we walk in, a work of him. It's something we notice in reverse. It's not something we plan for in advance. Yeah. The, the two lives are different. And so well, playing yeah. off of what you said with the Platoism, you know, from the book, the, you know, the ruthless elimination of hurry, he's right. He writes this, Comer writes this, because what you give your attention to, okay, is the person you become. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. Sounds amazing in so many ways. But within every sentence, you find this religious pursuit, I feel like, of control. And I'm not saying that he's maliciously in any way, right? Painting that, but I'm looking at this and me going, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. No, the person I become is the person I already am. And that person was crucified with Christ. That person no longer lives for the life. I now live. I live in him, mm-hmm. right? What I fill my mind with will determine my character. no. He who began a good work in me, Philippians 1, 6, will complete it in the end. Mm-hmm. My character will be what Christ's character is because I live and dwell in Christ. And he will bring that about through the fruit of the spirit. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to, he says. No, in the end, the sum of my life is the victory that was brought about through the death and resurrection of Jesus, bro. The sum of who I am has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. and has everything to do with what he did. Yeah. That's the story in the end. Mm-hmm. And it totally plays with another, another quote from the book where he says that, you know, love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. And all three are incompatible with hurry, he says. 
And I'm going, no, dude, love, joy, and peace are fruit of the spirit. And you already have them, whether you're busy or not. People in the Ukraine right now who are defending the innocent, people in the Ukraine right now who are running around and caring for the sick and the wounded, people in the Ukraine right now who are running around trying to house women and children are really busy. And you know what? That busyness is not keeping them from the fruit of love, joy, and peace. Yeah. Because love, joy, and peace is the work of someone else at work in you. It's a fruit completely of someone else. Mm. And you can walk with love, joy, and peace while you're busy and while you're slow. Because again, it's a fruit of someone else out of his love and his doing. Whenever we turn that into something that we do and achieve, or what we do and can lose. Christianity goes from being a fellowship of losers who are learning to trust in the boundless love of God to a religion for the winners who are doing everything they can to love God and love others. One is really appealing. The other one is what Jesus actually declared. Yeah. Yep. What I would add to what I would, would add to comer's soil illustration is um don't forget how necessary death is in growth Mm. um especially when it comes to seeds and what i love about luther's emphasis in particular he would not quit he would not stop emphasizing this whole idea of that it's the work of Jesus and not a work of us. Because until you die to thinking that you contribute even the slightest scrap to this whole deal, it will Mm -hmm. forever be about you. Until you die to the fact that thinking that love for neighbor somehow is needed and God requires it to have life with him, or that thinking that how well I tap into this life with him or that union with him is somehow dependent on something I do until you die to thinking that there's a scrap of anything you bring to the table that contributes to union and are being found in his life. It will forever be about you. You will forever be at the center of that thing because you think it's needed from you to bring and that freedom to actually sit with community, sit with the scriptures, sit in prayer, stop, listen, maybe die to the whole busyness thing. You know what I'm saying? Or to be even be honest about what your heart is doing in your busyness. The only thing that can truly free you to do that is by dying. Life is found in death. And, and the good news for us, dude, is that Jesus has met us in our death. Because the yeah. very point of redemption is the is the death of Jesus. It's yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason again why Paul said, I knew nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Yeah. I didn't offer you tools and tips for how to achieve this, how to do that, how to bring about this. I knew nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Which is probably why Jesus's invitation, when he said, if you want to follow me, then take up your cross. Yeah. Right. We've said it a million times. It's the modern day equivalent of visit the electric chair or lethal injection or whatever form of capital punishment you want to throw into the mix. But the bottom line is people who have faced their death. Okay. In Jesus's death. They're not oftentimes described as energetic achievers who are bringing their effort to the table to bring about and build a kingdom that's needed. Dead people aren't, uh, aren't generally classified as uh, aspirational. Yeah. Yep. So I think we just, in the again, in the pursuit of a better life or a more spiritual life, we wind up missing life itself. all together man yep life itself has descended to us 
Yep. We don't ascend to it. We don't climb the hill. He's come down to us and he's invited freely the entire world into his life. And so I can totally see how maybe what some of these guys are dropping is very appealing because we feel the weight of hurry. And it's very, what's very tempting is to think of a God as that taskmaster in the sky, someone who's demanding these things. Mm -hmm. That's very much in line with what the enemy's doing in our lives, that constant accuser, that constant, you're falling short. And it's very, very easy to mistake that internal consciousness with God himself, or that this is his voice or that this is coming, you know, from, from him. Um, And I just, I just think that it's a, it's a very easy trap um, to once again, turn the focus and the attention on how well we're doing the Christian life instead of the Christ of the Christian life. Right. And the ruthless elimination of hurry can quickly turn into the spiritual form of the ruthless tyranny of hurry and the ruthless yep. tyranny of sanctification. Yep. Um, the temptation's there. And I think it's subtle and I think it's deceptive. And so I, I think our time here on this podcast we just want to bring that up <laughs> in love. We just want to bat this around, not because yeah. we think it's our job to, you know, look under every rock for wrong teaching or, you know, or we want no. to pick a fight or anything like that. I think we, I think we love, we love people. Um, and we want you, we want you to be free. I would say better, better. Yeah. We want you to relish in the freedom that's already yours. Yeah. Yeah. Learning. We're, we're sort of averse, you know what I mean, to freedom. We don't really know what to do with it. Yeah. Which is why the world is religious in a million different ways. Right. And people seek control in every aspect of life that mm-hmm. they can. Mm-hmm. And we're no different. We struggle with it as well. But yeah, the religion of busyness, man, it's there. But again, the religion of slowness as a solution is also there. Yeah. Amen. Good podcast, man. I am looking yeah. forward to being in Florida with you in just a few days. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be going to be good. Too. The Lark team, the Lark crew uh, yeah. is getting together out there. We're going to enjoy some drinks, food. We're going to strategize a little bit, but we're going to party and have fun and and rest Ride around and in relax. the Catmobile. We're going to we're going to eliminate um, ruthlessly hurry. <laughs> from our our lives starting on thursday well i'm gonna i need to hurry to the airport and then after that i'll be able to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life until the tuesday after yeah so man until i see you in a few days (laughs) cheers cheers cheers